After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are very, very happy to be bringing back our Scout Series podcast this year, where we talk to an area scout who signed a player who made his major league debut during the current season. To kick off the 2021 edition of our Scout Series podcast, we're very, very pleased to be joined by Kenny Munoz, the Royals Four Corners area scout. Munoz was the scout who signed Kyle Isbell. Isbell made his major league debut this year made the Royals opening day roster, uh, really just a, an impressive young prospect for a couple years now. It was a third round selection in 2018 out of UNLV, climbed his way to the major leagues, made the opening day roster and got an RBI single in his first major league at bat against the Rangers, Kyle Gibson. Big moment for Kyle, a big moment for Kenny. And, and Kenny also has a pretty interesting backstory. He was an infielder at George Mason University in the early 90s, where his teammates included current Royals scouting director Lonnie Goldberg, current Royals assistant GM J.J. Piccolo, and an assistant coach for that George Mason team was current Royals GM Dayton Moore. So the four of them go back more than 20 years, almost 30 now, and they've all come back together from the Royals organization. They were all there when the Royals won the American League pennant in 2014. They all won World Series rings together when the, the Royals in 2015. And now Kenny uh, was able to sign a player who projects to be a big part of the Royals' future moving forward. We're happy to have Kenny join us today from Las Cruces, New Mexico, where he's scouting the next wave of potential Royals talent. Kenny, I know it's obviously thrilling to see one of the guys you drafted make the major leagues. Uh, when Kyle Isbell made the opening day roster this year, uh, just what was that feeling like for you, seeing him get the call? Uh, it was obviously uh, very special uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, it was the first, uh, the first, you know, player that I, you know, had my name attached to that that has made it. Uh, so uh, that was special. And um, and then with it being Kyle, uh, it was a, it was it took it to another level because Kyle was. Uh, it was he was a special player, but he was he was also just such a such an awesome kid to get to know through the draft process, and um, you know with Coach Stolte down at, uh, at UNLV uh, giving plenty of access and allowing uh, me to meet with Kyle and get to know Kyle and the input and feedback getting from the coaching staff there was was also very helpful. So to see him uh, to make to see him make it and you know I was watching the box scores and seeing his name in there uh, you know at the end of spring training but to see that uh, final you know for real it was uh, it was really special yeah and your first one I know so many scouts talk about it's just such a hustle and such a grind and a lot of times 
that's the reward. I mean, for that, for it to be the first one, just what was that emotion like even beyond just, you know, happiness? Um, well, the, the thing of it is, is like, you know, there, I have a lot of friends obviously that scout and you get to know guys and, and other, other guys that I, I like and know and respect and, and I'm friends with, uh, have had big leaguers and some of them multiple big leaguers. And, um, to experience and understand the feeling that they had for me to have that. I mean, when I watched Kyle's first big league at bat and uh, it was like just something churning inside of me, it was just crazy just to, I was probably more nervous than he was and, uh, and to see him and then have for him to have success and get an RBI single. And um, it was just such a cool, a cool experience for me. That's something I'll never forget. Absolutely. And the road to this experience started almost 30 years ago. I want to go back to uh, the early 90s at George Mason University. You were a player there, as was current assistant GM J.J. Piccolo, current general manager Dayton Moore, and current scouting director Lonnie Goldberg. Actually, I should say Dayton Moore was an assistant coach at the time. You, Lonnie, and J.J. were all teammates. The first question I have to ask you is, what was Coach Dayton Moore like? (laughs) Coach Dayton Moore was, uh, he was, he was obviously a great baseball mind and, uh, and he was very intense and he, uh, and, and he demanded a lot from us uh, and, and made all of us better, better players and better people. Um, And so uh, everything that we did, um, you know, was for a purpose and, and Lonnie and I in particular benefited from, you know, Dayton being a former middle infielder and us being middle infielders and Dayton taking that, that special interest in us and making sure that we were, you know, going to be, uh, you know, the best players we could be, you know, not only for the program, but obviously for ourselves and moving forward. You mentioned he could be kind of intense. What's your best coach Dayton Moore story? Oh boy. Now you're throwing me on the spot. Um, man, um, I, I remember a bunch. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of different things that uh, that Dayton would do. I mean, he, uh, like I said, he met he 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 took a special uh, interest in Lonnie and I, and 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 I remember there were some times where we we would do some some just drills and things off like Lonnie and I with Dayton, where he he worked us really hard, and and uh, and it was it was it was awesome because it 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 taught me. Um, you know, a lot about work ethic and, and, and what it, what it really takes to get to where I want to be and how it's, you know, things aren't going to be just given to me. And um, if I want to, if I want to be good and I want to, I want to have success, I've got to put the work in and and he oversaw that and instilled that. Um, There's probably some funny things that I could come up with, but uh, I'll keep it, uh, I'll keep it, uh, you know, pretty simple right now. <laughs> Sounds good. You mentioned you and Lonnie were middle infielders together. Yeah. What was your relationship like with Lonnie and, and JJ as well, being a teammate of yours? Yeah. So Lonnie and I were obviously very close uh, during our, during our playing days and, and uh, with, with him being at second and me being at short and um, we always knew where each other was. And um, it's funny. We, we, um, we had this play where we do like, and I'm, I'm surprised a lot of, middle infielders don't use this more often where the second baseman's going away from first up the middle and it's a really difficult throw and instead of trying to plant or jump throw he would just flip me the ball and I would throw it across to first and so it was funny I just I sent him a text uh recently because I saw that in a high school game and I was blown away because 
I don't, I haven't seen that in decades. And I, I wonder why, you know, big leaguers don't do it and why, why more college and high school players don't do it. And, and I texted him and said, Hey man, I just saw our play. <laughs> and so he, uh, he, he's texted back and said, yeah, he's like, it's funny. I hadn't seen it in a long time either. And he saw it at a high school game um, as well. So yeah, it was, it was, it was an awesome experience with the two of us there. And then JJ was, was um, he and I were summer teammates and he had mentioned he was interested in, in transferring. Uh, he was at NC state and he was going to leave. And then we had lost our catcher. Um, you know, we lost Widger to the draft and then, um, I think something happened with whoever we had coming in and, and we were shorthanded. I said, Hey, I just played with this guy who's, who's good. Um, and he's looking for a place and everything happened so fast before we knew it. JJ was down in Fairfax on a visit and it was me, him and our assistant at the time, Mike Wallace, um, at lunch and, uh, trying to talk JJ into coming to Mason. <laughs> hey, and it worked out the one year that all four of you guys were all there together in 1993, uh, you guys led George Mason to the first at-large bid in school history to the NCAA tournament. Uh, really a tremendous run of success the years you guys were all there. How much do you guys carry that with you? And, and obviously the fact you've all had success with the Royals too. I mean, it's kind of an amazing stretch from the early 90s at George Mason, you know, getting to the NCAA tournament to you were all there, part of the staff when they won the World Series in 2015. Yeah, that was that was amazing because – um, we, we had no idea that we would get an at-large bid and we, we hoped, you know, and we are actually, the whole team got together and we watched the selection show on ESPN and, and, uh, we, we, we were literally the last team announced. Um, and, and it was Arizona state and it said the West regional and it went through the regional and described it. And then he said, and from the colonial and then the whole place just erupted, we were going wild and hugging and we went right to the field house and before you know it we were getting ourselves ready to uh to come out to Arizona which is ironic because I had never prior to taking my four corner job with the Royals um I got hired in 2006 but um I had never been to Arizona other than that regional and um I remember it being just so darn hot that I uh I didn't know I mean we couldn't breathe I mean just getting out to work out that first day uh I think our cleats and spikes and shoes were melting on the on the ground it was so awful and then uh, when when it when the Royals had a four corner position they they said hey I, I got wind of it uh, through JJ actually and it, he mentioned the four corners and my first question was what are the four corners <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get up to speed on what on what that meant and it meant moving to Arizona and, and I had the and I had wanted to scout for a while, but it never it never worked itself out until um, everything just came together. Um, JJ gave my name to Derek Ladinier, who was the director at the time, and I did an interview with with him in in November, and it went well, and and I've been here ever since. Yeah, you guys were all together at George Mason. Then you all kind of went your separate ways. I saw you played a little bit of independent ball, and I read that you were a teacher immediately after playing. Yeah, I did when I. Uh, when I realized that, that hitting was, was difficult, I, uh, <laughs> it was time to, it was time to start life. And, um, I basically, uh, walked into a teaching position in Fairfax County. I taught in Fairfax County public schools for the better part of 12 years. And, um, I stayed in coaching. I stayed involved. I kept in touch with JJ. I actually had a, I had a prospect, a left-handed pitcher at my school and JJ and I would stay in, in touch about him because JJ was scouting with Atlanta at the time. Um, and 
scouting was always something that I wanted to do, but it just felt like, um, man, I don't know this is ever going to happen, you know, like, and um, it just, uh, it finally, you know, the, the planets line aligned and um, it, it uh, you know, JJ, uh, JJ was actually the, uh, you know, um, he was the reason I, I helped uh, as an extra coach in Rome, Georgia in the summer of 2006, because I had the summers off and I was teaching. And so the experience of being around such unbelievable players like that league, it was loaded in 2006. I mean, Elvis Andrews was our shortstop. And then you went around the league and there were players like Andrew McCutcheon and all these just really, really quality big leaguers. And so when it came time to interview, I was able to speak about not only the tools and the talent I was seeing, but I was able to talk on how important makeup is, um, you know, because we had, you know, obviously being being in a clubhouse, that's when you really get to know and learn the players' makeup and get a full understanding of who the players really are. Absolutely. What were you doing in Rome? What were you coaching? Yeah, so I was just an extra coach. I was I would throw BP and hit fungos and help out with the infielders and really whatever else they needed. Um, and um, and it was funny. I was I was I was telling my dad this story the other day. Um, I was throwing to. Um, one of our one of our players in the cage, and I actually hit him in the head. And uh, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. So um, then um, we were on the game field pregame BP. Elvis was up, and I threw one behind him, and and mentally, and it was starting to happen. Like I was starting to lose it. I was starting to actually. I never thought about throwing a baseball in my life, and it was like, where's my hand, and where's my release, and all these crazy thoughts, and so. I threw him behind Elvis and Elvis was such a great kid that he just laughed and everyone thought it was a joke that I was messing around, but I wasn't. <laughs> so I literally had to step back off the platform, take a deep breath because I, if, if I hit Elvis Andrews in the head at that point, I probably would have got fired from the platform. <laughs> Luckily for everyone involved, that did not happen. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you had been away from the game. You mentioned you were coaching uh, at your school, but obviously the pro game had changed a lot from the early 90s to 2006 or so. Was there a little bit of like a recalibration in your head you had to do? Just like, okay, this is how the game has changed? Yeah, I, I didn't really see it that way. I mean, um, I, had, I did scout school with the Braves in the 90s. So I, I was taught on the grading scale and how it all worked. And the grading scale and the evaluation, that part, um, that's the part of evaluating the, the players and the tools, that really didn't change. Um, I think the major changes are more so in the last few years with, you know, exit velocity and all those types of stats and launch angle and, and spin rate and, and, and essentially pitchers trying to, uh, trying to find velocity these days. Um, that really wasn't a thing back then. So I didn't really see it as a, a huge change. And it was, you know, something where I was always involved in the game and stuck around the game. So I didn't really see a huge change in from when I was coaching and playing to when I got started in 2006 in scouting. What subject did you teach? I was a gym teacher, <laughs> PE, <laughs> uh, but I did dabble a little bit in some classroom driver's ed. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was actually, uh, you know, it was something I guess I had to do. And, and it was a good experience for me. Uh, I... Um, I, I got the head baseball coach at West Springfield after a, a longtime legend, Ron Tugwell, uh, retired. 
I was fortunate enough to, to, to be, be the head coach there. And I learned a lot of things about, about myself and about interacting with, with players and people. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was definitely a learning experience. And, um, I ended up, you know, going and helping back at Mason as a coach, um, after, uh, after a stint at West Springfield. So I stayed around the game. I stayed around, you know, baseball at, at, at a, at a pretty good level. And, and then that really that 2006 summer was, was huge in, in both in my development as a, as a coach and a scout, I think. You mentioned you stayed around the game. Obviously the passion never left at the same time. Teaching is a job with some stability and we all know scouting cannot be at times. Was it a difficult decision for you to leave a, a stable, steady, full-time position and jump into the scouting world? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, I, I thought about this. I mean, if I would have stayed in teaching, I'd be close to being able to retire. And, um, and I gave all of that up uh, for, you know, to do what my, you know, what I've always wanted to do. My passion is baseball and always has been, always will be. And I feel like I would have cheated myself had I not, you know, gone for that, you know, for taking that opportunity, you know, um, but it was when uh, Derek and Stevie Williams, they interviewed me and we were, you know, we got through the interview and they said, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to offer you the job. And they laid out the terms and, and um, they said, you know, we're going to give you a week to think about it. And if you could let us know the sooner the better. And I'm like, I don't need a week. I'm good. Let's, let's go. And they're like, awesome. And I started, you know, filling out paperwork and all that good stuff. And so I, um, I, yeah, obviously stability wise, um, that would have been the, the safe play, but um, I think I, I probably would have regretted it my, the rest of my life had I not gone for, for what I really wanted to do. So we only get one life to live. Might as well take a shot, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you're with the Royals, 2014 rolls around, you guys make the World Series, get to game seven, obviously a, a tough, tough loss there with uh, the tying run on third base but you guys get back in 2015 and win it all. What was that like for you being a part of the organization, especially with your history with Lonnie Dayton and JJ, you know, being able to be a part of a world series champion and, and get rings together. Yeah, it was, I mean, it just made it all the more special. Um, one, because slowly, but surely we all, we all ended up at Kansas city in, in the same place. Um, but you know, when I started in 2007, we were, we were losing a lot, you know, and that wasn't any fun you know, going to a ballpark and hearing another scout just, you know, make a little snide remark or something about how bad we are. And I'm just, I'm just really, I mean, and we all are very competitive people and, and none of us, you know, see that as acceptable. So it's uh, what do I, what do I have to do on my end? How, how am I going to help, um, you know, it, it, whatever way possible. And it's being the best, you know, four corner scout I can be to help make sure that we're covered out here and we're, we're scouting the right players and possibly drafting and signing the right players. Um, so it, to, to, to finally win it, it was, it was surreal. It was uh, um, just another, another really cool moment, you know, along, along the lines of the, you know, watching Isbell in his first at bat. And um, it just, just to, to go from losing a lot, uh, you know, more, way more than winning to, and, and always been, and, and I've always, I seem to have been on successful teams and won championships and won, you know, in high school and college. And, and, and it, you know, it was, it was hard to, to go through that. And then, like you said, like 2014 and 15 to get to the highest level and 
one, get, get close, and then two, to finally finish the job. It was amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of times people talk about, oh, we're going to go into the four-year rebuild and the tank now, and it's part of the plan. But what a lot of people don't realize is how painful it is for a lot of the people who work for the team. I mean, four consecutive years or three consecutive years, or in your guys' case, it was even longer of just lots and lots and lots of 90 lost seasons. It it hurts. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to be a part of it. I, I keep hearing that a lot. I think from the outside looking in, people say, oh, three, four-year rebuild will be over and we'll win. But when you're physically in the weeds, it, it's tough. No, it's very, it's, it's very tough. And, and, and you, you, you read things, you see things, you see, you know, whether it's social media or articles written and, 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 and it's, it's frustrating. I mean, it's, and then there's, and there's, there's not much that we can do. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard time for everyone. I mean, and then you have, I mean, there's us out in the field, we're looking for the next players. And then we have the play, our player development people who are, you know, developing our, our talent and, and trying to get those guys, you know, ready to help us at the big league level as quickly as they can. And, and we're all tugging on the same rope and um, yeah, when it finally comes together, it's awesome. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's a very, very difficult and painful thing to go through. Absolutely. Well, the ring was obviously a biggie and then Kyle Isbell becoming your first big leaguer to make it. I, I want to go back to Kyle. You guys drafted him in the third round in 2018. When was the first time you saw Kyle Isbell? Well, just, you know, in, in 2016, he was, he was a freshman there. And, and um, I remember our Southern California area scout just mentioning his name, just, you know, and we do that when a player leaves your area, goes to someone else, he's, Hey, you know, keep your eye on this guy. And, um, and he started off and he was playing some infield and playing outfield and kind of bouncing around. And, um, you know, he, he caught my eye as, as a, as a speed player, as an athletic player and a kid who was, who was very tough. And, um, and, and, and honestly, it, it was more so what he did, um, his, you know, his junior year. I mean, his sophomore year, he kind of, his average took, took a little bit of a hit and he had more strikeouts than walks. Um, you know, it was a little higher than you'd like. Um, especially the way we look at the, at those numbers now, um, but um, um, he was also a guy that was that was asked to to be a run producer for for that club, and and um, and he and he did that. He did everything his his uh, his junior year, his draft year, and um, you saw the power, you saw the speed. Um, he's stealing bases with excellent run times, and he's covering ground in the outfield and. And, and I saw him as a fit for us and that whether, whether or not he's a center fielder in Kauffman stadium, um, he's a fit for us because he, he's a speed player that can cover and play all three spots for us and give us flexibility while providing some offense for us as well. Yeah. I remember when he was coming out of the draft, a couple of people talked about, they could see him playing second base. They could see him playing the outfield. How much did you consider him a potential part-time infielder as well? Or was it strictly outfield in your evaluation? Well, we, we looked at that. I mean, it was similar. We did, we, we did that with Kipnis. It was a similar deal. Uh, Kipnis was a center fielder at ASU. And we all were like, okay, let's, let's see what it looks like at second. And it was a major conversion. And, uh, and there were some times where uh, Coach Dalty would, would set up uh, a little early work and say, okay, Kyle's going to take some ground balls at second. Um, I think it was – and even at our, at our workout, you know, Kyle worked out in some of the infield. And um, – I think what it, what it did was just, you know, make us, you know, look at what's the potential. Can he do this? You know, I think he actually could. He could have done it. 
but I think his his value in in in, in what he does and what he brings in the outfield, um, it it just ended up um, passing what he possibly would be as an infielder and made it I think an easy solution for them when when he went out and started running balls down out there and I don't know what they saw but I assume that they probably saw a lot of what I saw when when he would you know, play outfield and, and cover ground out there with his instincts and speed and intelligence. Um, he's going to be a heck of an outfielder. Let's just not mess around with this infield thing anymore. And in terms of him offensively, you mentioned he had been kind of a, an average speed guy. His junior year, he jumped to 14 home runs. It was the first time in his career he'd hit double-digit home runs. His slugging percentage jumped almost 200 points. So on the one hand, the power spike is something that's always nice to see. But at UNLV, you're playing at elevation, the ball flies there, and he's playing a lot of road games in places where the ball flies as well, New Mexico, Air Force, et cetera, in the Mountain West. In his case, how did you kind of differentiate between, okay, how much of this is real versus how much of this is environment-based? Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. We deal with that, you know, obviously in the four corners that I know now. Um, it's, uh, you know, Albuquerque and and these other places you mentioned, Colorado, I mean, the ball obviously travels and even travels in Arizona. And you see that at spring training. But um, with Kyle, I mean, you, you looked at the swing and you looked at the strength and uh, you looked at the leverage and the natural loft that he was able to create. And, and, and it was natural and real. It wasn't, it wasn't something that uh, was a product of the, of the environment. Um, and it looked like because he's able to hit balls hard and square balls up down the road, those are going to turn into balls that are going to be going out of any stadium in the big leagues. Um, not only, you know, just at, you know, the park in, in, uh, at UNLV or in the mountain West or wherever. Draft day comes around. Now this was the 2018 draft where the Royals took pitchers, college pitchers with their first five picks uh, for the top 40 picks. They went Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, picked Jonathan Bolin in the second round. Kyle Isbell was the first position player taken in this draft. What was the discussion like with you and the higher ups about, Hey, now that we're ready to pivot to a position player, this is the one we want. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm at home. I'm, I'm in my own little war room, if you will, uh, just kind of waiting for the phone to ring and, or a text or, you know, double check on this or, or what have you. So I, I wasn't in any, any kind of discussion. So, um, I knew, I knew that there was interest in Kyle. Um, and I obviously, I saw what we had done, uh, you know, at the top of the draft. And so you knew it, we were, a position player was coming. I actually thought Kyle was, was gone. I thought he was, he was going to be taken, you know, before that. And when he was still there, I think, I think we were all pleasantly surprised. And, and, um, and I know it's, you know, Lonnie was interested and a lot of our other people, Danny O and some other people were interested in liking, uh, um, you know, Kyle and what, what he could bring for us. And so it just became a, um, Hey, this guy's still here. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and get this done. In the lead up to the draft, how many people got a look at him? Cause I know first rounders, obviously lots and lots and lots of different people come in. Some of the later round picks, it's more the area scout, maybe his cross checker for a third round type of guy. How many different guys came in to get a look at him? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much everybody saw him as far as I know. Um, all the, all the, all the people that needed to, um, and and again, the third round is still that's that's still a um, it's still a really good pick. It's still a high pick, and mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, he also came and, and worked out for us. And, and uh, they, they got to not only watch him work out, and see him in person, but also uh, interact with him, which when you're around Kyle, it's a, you see instantly and you learn instantly what a special, uh, special person he is, um, in addition to the talent that he has. I know in some cases, the area scouts, the guy who makes the call telling the kid that he got picked, did you get to call Kyle and tell him that he was the selection? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, it's, you know, and it, and it, you know, it just, it, it just depends. Um, and sometimes it works out that way. Um, but, um, and that, that one, it didn't, it's usually, it's a lot of times it's right afterwards. I guess you, you know, you have to make sure that no one else is going to take, you know, the, the, the player obviously picked your pocket, but um, it's, you know, right afterwards it's, Hey, welcome to the Royals. And, you know, kind of, you know, breathe a sigh of relief, like, Holy smokes. I can't believe we got this guy and, and uh, let's get him signed and get going. So. He signed pretty quickly, went out, uh, his pro debut, made it up to low class A Lexington and did some good things there. It was a very, very nice pro debut. How much do you follow the guys? Because I know a lot of times you guys are very, very busy. One draft cycle's over, you jump right into the next one with showcase season, you're back on the road a lot. How much were you tracking Kyle's progress those first minor league seasons? Um, yeah, we're never too busy for that. We, we always track, um, you know, we want to see what's going on with them, how they're doing. Um, and, you know, if there are struggles, do we need to reach out and, you know, just make sure that they know that, you know, not only do they have the support of the player development staff, but also, you know, the person that, that helped, you know, bring them into the organization is still watching and still cares and always will, um, and just make sure that they're okay. Um, and so I was just, you know, would check in on Kyle. And I don't, I don't like to, you know, you know, mess with kids too much, mess with them, you get text them and bother them. I mean, this is their career and they need to get going, but I am available. And I always tell them I'm, I'm always here. You can call me, you can text me, whatever's easier. You want events, you want to, whatever it is you need, um, you know, I'm here for that. And I'll let them go. And, you know, obviously when, when, when Kyle makes it, you know, that's, you know, a phone call that gets made and you chat and you, you get to, you know, experience that with them as well. So, yeah, we, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I would imagine that pretty much every scout is going to follow the guys that they sign, you know, you know, fairly closely. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely been the feedback we've gotten for, for many, many years. It's only natural. You mentioned reaching out to guys when things are difficult. Kyle had a pretty rough 2019 season. He had a hamstring injury followed by a Hammond injury, just, really struggled with his health and never quite got into a rhythm and, and had a pretty rough go in 2019. How much did you talk to him during that season? I mean, not a lot. Um, it was just more just checking in, you know, how, how you holding up? Are you okay? You know, you know, the, I'm, I know his agent well, and his, you know, he, he, we, we talk and he would, you know, also, you know, relate to me what was going on. Cause again, like, there's that line. You don't want to cross it. You don't want to be that over. I don't want to be that overbearing person to, to, you know, be a nuisance, but I also want, just want him to know that I do care. I do know what he's going through. I'm here if he needs them. Um, I'll, I'll shoot him a text here and there, pick him up, you know, and, and we, it, you know, I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, how, how many times or what, you know, what the interactions were like, but I do know it was, pretty much just, Hey man, hang in there. You're going to be back. You're going to get through this, you know, just really being as a source of support within the organization for him outside of player development. 
Yeah, I did have a very, very nice bounce back in the Arizona Fall League, hit 315. I remember talking to some people in the Fall League that year. I, I was out there that year, but I did not get to see him just the way schedules lined up. And he was someone a lot of people said, hey, you know, he had a rough year, but th there's real talent here. I know he was someone that we at BA obviously had on our radar uh, and had him as a top 10 Royals prospect anyway. But remember that fall league is when it seemed like things really started to turn for him. It's like, okay, this is what this guy can do when healthy against a lot of the very best prospects in the minors. Yeah. And, and, and living in Arizona, which is part of the four corners, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, it was cool that they had the, um, you know, the fall league, which I was able to watch and go out and see him. And um, I, um, I was asked to do some talk. Um, it was about scouting and it was done before the all-star game. And so I did that and Kyle was in the all-star game. And so I was able to get the, the lineup and watch BP and watch the game and, and be there for all of that. And it was really cool just to, you know, have that opportunity. And, and I'm lucky that, um, I am in Arizona for that reason because I was able to see, you know, that special moment for him. And, you know, it's kind of springboard, if you will, I mean, into, into him making it to the big leagues. I mean, he, uh, like you mentioned, had those struggles. And all of a sudden he, he establishes himself as one of our, our best prospects and one of the best prospects in baseball as a, you know, that third rounder from UNLV that, you know, just won't go away. You know, he, he had some injuries, but man, this guy's back. And then all of a sudden you look up, he's an all-star in the, in the, in the fall league and he does really well at our alternate site last year after all the craziness and he's competing at a really high level and getting the attention of a lot of people and so it's just a testament to, to Kyle and the type of person and, and the type of work ethic he has. Yeah you hit on this earlier but he makes the opening day roster which is obviously an incredible accomplishment. First at bat opening day goes up with the bases loaded facing Kyle Gibson a veteran big leaguer were you just hanging on every pitch? I mean, what was, what was that like for you? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> literally hanging on every pitch and, and, um, and it was so cool to see just to, just to see that when that ball fell, I mean, I just, I mean, it was just such a, such a neat experience. And, and then you fast forward to a, a couple of games later. Um, he's, I have, I'm watching on, on probably on my phone and, and uh, he's facing Bieber who is absolutely filthy and Bieber had got him a couple of times already and it's late in the game and Kyle just takes an unbelievable at bat and, and ends up drawing a walk. And it was probably one of the most productive walks you can have because you got a young player facing a Cy Young caliber pitcher and not a caliber, a Cy Young pitcher that, um, that is as good as there is in the game. And Kyle, Kyle didn't bat an eye. He competed for the at bat and ended up uh, drawing a walk where, I think there's a lot of veteran hitters who probably would have struggled in that situation, but uh, yeah, he's um, he's like I said, it's it's been it's been really really cool just to see uh, see him uh, you know get going. Yeah, I feel like that's always been I shouldn't say always for the majority of Kyle Isbell's career that was the thing with him really really good strike zone discipline uh, his junior year at UNLV 34 walks 43 strikeouts we mentioned that fall league stint it was 14 walks 20 strikeouts he always kept it pretty tight and it seemed like that was a big reason why the Royals who admittedly did have some on base problems last year that was one of the things that made him very appealing for the opening day roster. Yeah, I can I can I can see that and I, and again I wasn't. I would get, you know, little, I'd get reports back like, man, Isbell's doing really well. He's looking really good. Um, but 
um, to see it, you know, in spring training that, you know, and he's in the big league games and he's showing those types of at-bats, those competitive at-bats, and he's getting hits and he's driving balls and hitting home runs and doing all the things that, that our people have been seeing. So um, it, it was, you know, pretty remarkable for a kid out of the 2018 draft, you know, to, to you know, not only get himself in the discussion, but to get himself on the opening day roster. That's pretty, pretty special. No doubt. How would you say Kyle Isbell has changed from when you first saw him at UNLV or even from that 2018 season to now? Um, he's probably, uh, probably a little stronger. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. Um, as a person, he hasn't changed a lick and he's not going to. He's just a, a really amazing, just down to earth, um, regular person. And he's not going to change. I mean, it doesn't matter whether he's, you know, an all, you know, multiple year all-star hall of famer. I mean, he's going to be the same person. He's just, and that's, that's what's special about him. And that's why he's where he is now. Um, so he hasn't changed at all that way. I think, uh, you know, he's gotten himself, you know, stronger and he's, and he's, 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 he has that, um, that confidence instilled in him that he knows, he knows he belongs. It's just a matter of him having the opportunity and uh, once he has it, he's going to seize it, and he, and, he, and he did. You mentioned your experience with Rome in 2006 really drilled home the importance of makeup, and obviously makeup is a huge part of your job as an area scout assessing these, these amateurs, their makeup. When did you first get the sense that Kyle was different or special or, or had the makeup to succeed? Well, definitely through the course of his draft season, but he started to get my attention somewhat dur during the season before. Um, the grit and 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 the how he played. I mean, he was, and it's funny to hear. You know, I think one of our players, it may have been Hunter Dozier, who said that he's like a mini Alex Gordon, um, and and that's kind of what I saw. It was him. Uh, you know, uniforms always dirty. He's laying out in the gap, making catches, making plays. He'll steal a base. He's doing he's doing whatever's necessary for the team to win that day. Um, so that's. That's really what, uh, what, you know, one of the many things that stood out with Kyle. Absolutely. So I have to ask, that first hit, did you pump your fist? Did you let out a yelp? Like, what, what was the physical reaction? Yeah, I, I, uh, I was actually uh, – I, I watched it at home, and, and I was on my couch and jumped up, and, and it, was, uh, it was an aggressive uh, fist bump. So if I had a football, it would have been a spike. Um, nice. <laughs> it was uh, – yeah, it was – it was pretty cool. Uh, it was a really, like I said, it was, it was really awesome. I'll never forget that. Yeah. One of the things that always stands out to me is it, it feels like for the scouts, it, it's kind of a proud dad moment. Obviously these aren't your flesh and blood, but in some ways you've seen these kids grow up and, and grow as ball players. And it seems like that bond is, is in some ways kind of, kind of like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, I, I saw other people go through it and, I couldn't relate because I never, I never experienced it. So um, I was starting to feel like, well, the, the draft is a lottery and, you know, I, you know, maybe I'll get lucky enough one day to get somebody and, and all that. And, and um, to see, to see, uh, you know, Kyle make it and to feel what and experience what other people have, have experienced. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something really cool that, like I said, I, I didn't, I was starting to wonder, man, this is a year. It's been a while. Let's just say <laughs> it's been a long time. And, and uh, I, uh, 
it's just starting to wonder, man, who's going who's gonna, to, you know, be the one to break through and, and make it, and, and Kyle was the one. Well, congratulations. It's well-deserved, and uh, we're happy for you. And obviously, it's great to see Kyle have the success he has, and, and we wish you both all the success moving forward. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there you have it, folks. That was Kenny Munoz, the Royals Four Corners Area Scout. Just great interview. So many great stories. And just see uh, quite the career in baseball, from playing to teaching, but staying around the game, uh, getting into scouting, doing some coaching, and, and all those things coming together, really leading to this moment where he was able to sign his first big leaguer and seeing the joy and hearing the passion, especially a moment when the first big leaguer you sign gets up there, gets his first big league hit. Uh, that's something that every scout we've talked to has talked about as a huge moment for them. Or if it's a pitcher they signed, that first big league appearance, the first big league strikeout, the first big league winner save. It's a really special moment. We're very, very fortunate these scouts are willing to come on and share those with us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Kenny Munoz, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.